Yeah, we're great. We're great. We're on? Yeah, I think we're on. Here we go. We can hear something. There we go. We're back again. Just a, a momentary break. Great. It's a great joy to be with you again. And uh, I love being in this house. I love the atmosphere in the house. I love what Tim and Kirley are building. Uh, coming in, I always feel the prophetic atmosphere. And so you'll notice me, I have my phone out because I'm taking down in the worship and during the ministry, what he was sharing, the things I feel God is saying. I always try to keep track on what God is saying because you just forget it. You only remember 10% of what you hear of that. And the Bible's very clear, whatever the Lord brings to you, the devil will come immediately to take it away. So I encourage you just to open your heart. I want to build over the two days. Each meeting builds on what went before it. And uh, we have a theme here called Sons and Daughters, which is just a great revelation we need in the church at this time. And uh, I want to share some things, and then we have time for altar calls and ministry and whatever. Whatever God speaks to you about, just let God touch you. Let God touch you and help you. And uh, I love what uh, Pastor Tim was sharing this morning. So many things where we're really on the same page in so many different ways. And uh, so just coming in, I think, stop, stop, stop. You'll be stealing my message. <laughs> anyway, great to be here. Thank you, Father. We just open our hearts over these two days. And Lord, to receive from you, we want revelation to come to our heart. We need the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come that you would be the voice within the voice, guiding the flow, guiding the illustrations, guiding the language, speaking into our heart in a way that brings freedom and liberty and enlargement to us. Break all paradigms, help us to shift and enlarge into new paradigms. Lord, we give you all the honour, give you all the honour today in Jesus' Name. Amen. Amen. Well, we start with that Scripture we're on. I want to share a message called Sonship and the Supernatural. Then I want to talk in the next session on sonship and heart transformation. And then tonight I want to speak on sonship and our warfare, what our warfare is about, where the warfare is, and then the nature of what comes against us. If you want to move in the supernatural, you will be involved in spiritual warfare. If you don't know what you're up against and how to fight, you will become defeated in that. So we want to pray and minister to people, also impart to people. Tomorrow I have some other messages. Tomorrow night I'll speak on the spirit of might. I want to particularly impart to people that you start to carry the deliverance and anointing and the power of the spirit around your life and you begin to nurture that anointing and grow and explore breaking into new territory. Amen. So our, our theme scripture is uh, Romans 8, 19. The whole of creation, whole of creation, the whole of creation is eagerly awaiting. Now, if you ask most people what they're waiting for, they're waiting for, the, for, this, for Jesus to come back again. But the Bible doesn't say that. It says the earnest expectation of the creation is the manifestation or the unveiling of what God has been doing over thousands of years of history. The highlight of what He is doing will be the revealing and unveiling of what He's doing in us, the revelation, not just of the Son of God, but of a family of sons and daughters. So when we use the word son, it's a non-gender term as far as we're concerned. Men and women are sons, just as men and women are the bride. It is a language used to describe a certain kind of relationship. And I want to explain just what it is as we, as we look at it. So, uh, uh, so we don't get sort of, oh, that's not about me or I've been excluded or something. So, the, so I want to just talk a little bit about God's design. The way God has designed uh, things to work. 
If we look first of all, we see the pattern through the Bible is one of a father-son relationship. Let me just share with you a couple of scriptures just to give you a setting for it. In Numbers 14 verse 21, when God has brought Israel out of Egypt, he's wanting to bring them into the land and they all fell short of the promise. In other words, it was a generation that never entered into what God had prepared for them. And even though they failed, God said this, they'll not enter the land, but nevertheless, nevertheless, as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. So the entry, the exit of the people from Egypt, their journey through the wilderness of preparation, their entry into the promised land is a prophetic picture of God's work in the church and of us entering into a great supernatural legacy that Jesus purchased for us. And he said, even though that generation failed, nevertheless, the earth, so it's not just about the land, it's the whole earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. And Habakkuk chapter two, he says, the whole earth shall be filled with knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And we're living in an electronic age where now it can be known. It can be known. The church needs to start to arise and step up into it. So when it says the glory of the Lord, what does it mean? The glory of the Lord is very simply the goodness of God, his nature and virtue manifested in a tangible way. Every time you saw the glory manifest in the Bible, it was manifested in something that could be seen or felt or experienced. The glory of God. Moses said, show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And then he describes what that looks like. The nature of God, the power of God. He describes first his power and his uh, unlimited resources, then his ministry towards people. And I did a message on that on Sunday. You might like to get the message and have a look at it called the revelation of the Father, what he is like, the glory of our Father. And uh, so, so God is very clear that the earth shall be filled with a manifestation of his glory and that glory will be manifested through his sons. So when God designed the earth, he designed it to fill it with his glory and goodness. And he had many ways he could show his glory, and he's shown it through nature. You go to nature, you feel connected somehow to God. You go and see the vastness of the oceans, there's a connectedness seems to come to the Lord. We're, we're starting to touch the glory. You're seeing aspects of it there. You look at the vastness of the stars, and you start to see the vastness of God. You start to look at the beautiful designs of nature and creation. You start to see the magnificence of God. But this is nothing compared to what he has planned to unveil and reveal. And, uh, so, and this is the thing we, we can catch, is we are the center of his attention. We are the center of his attention. So God's, the, God's plan to manifest his glory, it began in the beginning and it's never changed. He, he, he planned to manifest what he is like through a father-son relationship. A father-son relationship. It's not to do with gender, it has to do with function and the understanding, biblical understanding of the function of a son in relationship to his father. The word, uh, so we just look first of all at the word father. So when we think about father, of course many people, there's emotional things come to mind that aren't that pleasant. But, uh, but when the Bible is talking about father, it's talking about these, it's talking about a source of life. It's talking about the author or originator, the supplier of life. So from a Bible perspective, everything originates from some source. The Father is the source. 
So the father is the author of life. The mother nurtures the life and brings it forth. But the father is the one who authors life. He is the source. That's where life comes from. It comes from the father. So when we're thinking about God as a father, then we're thinking about an originator. He is the source. He is the supply. And in Exodus 34, where God reveals, he reveals that uh, he is unlimited resources. He is the unlimited one. When Jesus ministered in the power of the Holy Ghost, he had unlimited resources available to him to minister. So the Father is one of unlimited resources. Unlimited resources, unlimited supply. Father fits certain functions. Father, for example, is the source of our identity. You take the name of your father. So if you have no relationship with the father, you struggle with identity. The father is the source of identity. You notice when Jesus comes up out of the water, the father speaks to him, you are my son. You belong somewhere. Your identity is in me. The devil's first attack on Jesus was on his identity to shift his identity away from revelation by his father to performance in ministry. Many people in ministry struggle. Their ministry is their source of identity, so their life is tied up in it, and they use people to build who they are. That's not fathering. That's not even true ministry. That is actually spiritual trading. I'm trading to get something. And we have to be free and, and, and cleansed from the defilement of trying to find our identity in things external when it must be found inside the Lord. If it's found in something outside you, then it's never going to be stable. <laughs> go quiet on that one. Eh? Father is a source of purpose. Father's is, and I'll unlock this for you and show it in Jesus' prayer. Father is a source of purpose. Father has a purpose for everything. And so one of the things the father does is he has a purpose. Uh, a better way, that I, the, the one I like to use, the word I like to use, and we'll come to this in a moment, is the word assignment, that fathers give, give assignments to their sons and daughters. A purpose is a very general, broad thing. It, it's like a broad, big plan. Assignment is, this is what my job is. This is what I've been given to do. So purpose could cover what everyone's called to. Say we're called to the purpose of changing our community, evangelizing, sharing the gospel. But specifically, you have your own assignment. And that becomes very, very important. And we'll see that just shortly. So a father, not only that, is a source of provision. Source of provision. So if, if God is, uh, if, is the source of my identity, then my life is wrapped up in him, and nothing you say or do changes who I am because I'm secure in him. He is my father. I belong somewhere. So if you don't like me and reject me, that's okay. I still belong somewhere. You understand? Because if your identity is found in a relationship with an eternal spirit being God himself, then the security comes into your heart. When your identity is attached to the things outside you, inherently it's unstable because they change. And we think that church will be certain kind of thing. It's a bit of a horror when you're a pastor and you find it isn't quite like what you expected. And the people who loved you and said hooray today can boo you tomorrow and turn on you just like that. But you see, it hurts very deeply when we don't understand our identities and our father. And it's not to be found in the ministry, how big it is, how spectacular it is, or anything else related to it. Our goal is to honor our father in the call. Sons honor their fathers. So therefore, a son is called to honor his father, and we'll show the ways that he honors him in just a moment. 
So this, that's fatherhood. Fatherhood is under attack. Father's been under attack for such a long time. So then the Bible talks about sons. And our concept of a son is very much they use someone you raise up and they're male and they're a bit of a nuisance. They go out of home and then they go, come on, get out and do something for your life. And, uh, but the biblical concept of a son, the word literally means, it's the word ben, meaning to build the father's house. So the biblical concept of a son The son is this. He is the extension of the father. The father works through his son to extend himself. And he works through the son as his representative, delegated representative. So a son always is the spokesman for the father and advances the father's business. So you see that in the mandate that God gave Adam that he would, he would, he would uh, subdue, have dominion, and he would be fruitful and multiply. It's, it's the dominion mandate is that God's son would represent what he's like in the earth. That's what made the betrayal so big. He literally gave up the mandate, gave up the authority, and gave it into the hand of his father's enemy. So from a biblical perspective, he brought immense shame on the family name. Dishonor to his father, shame on the family name. It would need another son to restore the family honor and to reconnect the lost children back to their father. And once you start to catch these concepts, you'll see them everywhere. They're just unmistakable. You relook at the scriptures, and there they all are, just exactly what it is. It's about God's heart that he might restore his original purpose, sons and daughters in relationship with him, representing him in the earth, extending his kingdom. And as soon as you lose any of those aspects, you then distort what ministry is all about. You begin to have something that does not represent the heart of God at all. So it tells us, for example, in, in, uh, in Luke chapter 3, the last verse, I think verse 28 or something like that, it says this, that Adam was the son of God. But God's thinking is not just to have a son. His thinking is to have a corporate son. So in the book of Exodus, it says Moses' message to the Pharaoh was uh, concerning Israel, let my son go that he may worship me. So God started with a son, but he had in mind a corporate son, which was Israel, the nation. But beyond that, he had in mind the church, his son, representing him and expanding his kingdom in the earth. So there's a progressive development from one son in the book of Genesis through to a corporate son. And first, then there's a family, then there's a corporate son, a nation. It's a nation of people. Now, you understand when he talks about you should be a godly nation, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. It's all about sonship. It's just the language of sonship. And everywhere you go, the theme of sonship is everywhere. The whole family on earth draws its name or its nature from Father in heaven. So you can understand then that all of the movement that's currently taking place with the homosexual agenda and the transgender agenda, all of it is an agenda to attack and destroy the design of God so people are so confused and they're actually in total rebellion against the order that God has set up to establish blessing. Because as soon as you remove father, you've lost source of identity then identity becomes confused. 
Interesting. When you start to see these things tonight, I may get to be able to touch on it. When I talk about the warfare, you'll find this warfare that we're seeing today is an old warfare. It actually goes right back in history. It's always been there. It comes out of a demonic spirit with a particular agenda. So John chapter 17, Jesus' uh, last words and prayer before he uh, gives up his life on the cross. Verse 3 through to 6, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on earth. I finished the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, honor me, glorify me. Put honor back on me with yourself, with the honor I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men you've given me out of this world. In the verse 26, I have declared to them or make known to them your name, and I will declare it so that the love with which you love me may be in them and, and uh, I in them. So amazing revelation there. So we see then that one man, the son that God put into the earth, betrayed his father over to his enemies. Now, just even think about that. When, when Jesus had his encounter with the devil, the devil showed him the kingdoms of this world and said, they have been delivered to me. The word delivered is betrayed. And Jesus never denied it. Adam's action was a betrayal of his father. To sell his own father out to his father's enemy was a massive betrayal. It requires now a son who'll be loyal and obedient even to the point of death to restore the father's honor. So we see there now you get a new glimpse on that scripture, John 3:16. God so loved the world, he gave his only son. So in other words, God then again to restore his plan, God introduces his son into the earth. It's always about the son and the father. And Jesus' revelation there is that the relationship he had with his father is the one we, he purchased for us to have. Most believers, as far as I can see, do not experience the love of the father for them the way Jesus experienced it in his own life. But he purchased it for us. I want to show you three things which are part of the sonship design. Sonship design. Number one. Number one. It's, it tells us here, it says, uh, he said, this is eternal life that they may know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And the word sent is the word apostello, meaning to commission someone to go into a hostile territory, subdue an enemy, and then establish the uh, culture of heaven, the ways of heaven on the earth. Hence Jesus' message. What was his message? The kingdom of God is here now. There is another realm available now for you, but to access it, you have to admit I was wrong. I've been doing life wrong. I need to change the way I think to come into agreement so I can enter an experience. And of course, that's a lifelong transformation process. So there are three things that stood out to me very strongly about Jesus' sonship, which is also our sonship. Number one is intimacy. Intimacy is that sense of deep closeness of knowing and becoming known. Intimacy is a lifelong journey of growing in the knowledge of God. The source of that is the Holy Spirit himself. 1 Corinthians 2, it tells us that no man knows the things of God save the Spirit of God. We have been given the Spirit of God that we may know the things freely given. 1 Corinthians 2, 14. So in other words, we need the Holy Spirit to help us to deepen in intimacy with God as our Father. 
we need to have revelation of his fatherhood and learn how to step into and engage him as our father with all of that means. So the first issue that God calls us to is intimacy. Intimacy, this is eternal life. Eternal life is not just some gift you get in a bag. Eternal life, he says, it's about knowing. Knowing is the word to be intimate. It's an intimate connection. The word can be described to describe two people in sexual intimacy and marriage. It is an intimate union. That's where life comes from. It comes from the joining, not from just like said a prayer one day. See, see, we're on a journey to deepening intimacy with God. Whatever you think you know of God, there is much, much, much more. Paul said, I can't everything done that for the excellency of knowing him. I thought, hello, I thought he already knew him. No, no, no. He's saying that there's so much to know of God, we must make it our life pursuit to be intimate with him. Prayer, firstly, is about intimacy, coming near to God. Now, of course, if you've got blocks and barriers in your heart, these will be blocks and barriers to intimacy, blocks and barriers to knowing God, blocks and barriers to representing him as a son. We'll get to that in the next session, why that's so important. So number one is intimacy, and God is seeking intimacy. John 4, 24, the Father seeks those who will worship. That means to kiss towards or be intimate with him from their spirit without hiding anything. The word spirit and truth, truth means without concealing or hiding anything. In other words, God wants us to become vulnerable. So Adam experienced intimacy in the garden. He was intimate. The presence of God means the face of God. He had face-to-face connection. When we fall on the inside, then we remove ourselves from connection. We start to do these things. You ever think what Adam did? Just think of the things he did. First of all, he covered himself, meaning he was trying to cope with the shame that he had. Secondly, he got busy doing. He got into the trees. People get very busy because they've got a lot of brokenness and undealt with stuff, and they fill it up with church things and every other kind of thing instead of actually coming into the face of God and facing him and coming near to him. Then the third thing that he did, which is a horrendous thing, is instead of loving his wife, he blamed her. And when people are afraid, they then tend to react and blame and accuse and distance themselves from other people. So we see all of those things. Jesus came to restore and heal all of those and bring us back into intimacy again. Number two, we're called also to represent the Father. So a son, one of his primary roles, apart from relationship, which Jesus said in things like this, I do nothing except what I see the Father doing. I haven't come to do my own will, I've come to do the will of my Father. In other words, he was driven by the Father's agenda because he represented him. If you hire a lawyer, you expect the lawyer to represent you, not say, well, wait a minute, I've got a plan of my own. No, you're paying him to represent you. So you don't want him to bring his own plan. You want to bring the plan that benefits you. So we're to be a representative, an accurate representative. Here's a question to ask. Do I represent what God is like as a father to the people that I work with? How well do I represent his fatherhood? God is love, therefore am I patient and kind? Does the fruit of love and no agenda come out of my life when I work with people? Or is my life built like the world, transactional? I leverage people to get what I want. It's always with an agenda. 
of all the things I've seen break the hearts of people in churches, it's leaders with agendas that actually use them to get something and then drop them the moment they can't get that. It is horrendous because it misrepresents the Father. That's the only thing got Jesus angry in the New Testament was the misrepresentation of the Father. If that got him angry, it should get us disturbed too. Unless we don't have the same value system he has. We get angry about other things. See, we get angry about all the wrong things. He got angry about one thing, and that was that his father was misrepresented, and the people that were God's family were abused and taken advantage of. That's what got Jesus angry in the two situations where it referred he was very angry. Oh, it's getting really quiet now. There's probably someone you know. It's all called to represent him. So if you think about Jesus, it says in Hebrews 1.3, he was the express image of the Father. In other words, you see him, you see what the Father is like. Uh, it says in John 14.9, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. There it is, right there. Uh, in John 1 and verse 18, it says, No man has seen the Father, but the only begotten Son of the Father, who is intimately acquainted with him, has declared him or made him known. So you notice here in verse 6, as he's finishing his prayer, he said, Father, I have manifested your name. I've shown people what you like. So in other words, a key part of being a son is not just intimacy, it's actually expressed by your lifestyle and relationships what God is like as a father. You can't do that without revelation. That comes from intimacy. So intimacy and representation go hand in hand. It's the same Holy Spirit who, who, who helps you do that. The, the, the representation of the Father in your life is actually the fruit of the Spirit flowing. It comes out of connection with the Holy Spirit. Intimacy comes out of connection with the Holy Spirit. Now, in order for us to represent the Father, guess what must happen? There must be an ongoing transformation of our life, healing and restoration of our heart, so we become more and more like what He is. Beholding him, as in a looking glass, the glory of the Lord, we are changed into the same image by the Holy Spirit. It's not about self-improvement. It's not about willpower. It's not about trying harder. It's about surrender to the Holy Spirit and allowing him access to the broken places in our heart and life that we have desperately covered, defended, and are now dysfunctioning in our life and stop us representing the Father. It's an ongoing, lifelong journey Letting the Father, letting the Spirit access your heart. Otherwise, the broken parts that you've tried to hide will overload. People who are bleeding pour their blood on other people who didn't do anything to cause it. Some people are dripping blood everywhere. It's on the carpets. It's on everyone they meet. Can't be mistaken. So when it says, Romans 8, 29, that his purpose, his purpose, his express purpose is to conform us to the image of his son. So how about this? That God has designed a plan to shape you up. And it's unique to you. God knows exactly what you need now to pull up to the surface the things in your heart he wants to change. If you're listening, then every situation you experience is a growing opportunity. Hallelujah. It's not about all the things other people did. It's about you representing Father and growing. That takes it away from being all upset about whatever. A lot of people are upset about what everyone else is doing. When you're like that, you're out of control. 
because your focus is in the wrong place. Focus should be on the Lord and the Father and what He's doing. And then if people do dumb stuff, listen, people do dumb stuff. They do dumb stuff because they're broken. And even if you're nice to them, they still do dumb stuff. That's why dumb stuff happens in the church. Even happened back there in the Garden of Eden with a perfect father. Still happened. Why would we think it's going to be different? So God has a plan and a pathway for you. So that there means my journey to wholeness is in my father's hands. I just need to start to become more aware what is happening in my heart and what the Holy Spirit's trying to get me to do. And if I got so hard in my heart, I'm not listening anymore, then you know I'm gonna have a lot of pain come. So many people have a lot of pain, and if you look at it and start to think and pray about it, you find it's recycling pain. It's the same dumb stuff happening over and over, different faces, different places, different things, but if you could label it, it's the same stuff because it's in you, and God's trying to change you. That's why all things work together for good. So long as we're called and responsive to God. Otherwise, it doesn't work for your good. It just makes you more angry. They're helpful for you. Okay. It's the, it's the, so transformation is always by the power of the Holy Spirit, but it also requires that cooperation. Here's the third thing. Third thing is our assignment. Notice what Jesus said. Now, he hasn't gone to the cross yet, but he could say, I've honored you. I brought honor to you on the earth. That was his whole purpose. I'm here to honor my father because sons honor their fathers. Because if you honor your father and mother, apparently there's a blessing goes with it. So I found when I counsel people and their life is not going so well, I always checked at the honor of the father and mother. I found they didn't. They got unresolved baggage. And so they got problems. So notice what he said, I brought honor to you. What do you have the honor of the father through intimacy, through representing him? He said, I finished the work you gave me to do. In other words, he had an assignment given to him. Jesus had an assignment, a specific assignment his father gave. Now, if you're a son, you need to think, what is my assignment? Who are my assignment? Where has God positioned me and planted me? What has he called me to accomplish? And who will help me in the training process? Churches to help train people to become sons so they can fulfill an assignment. Now, here's the thing. Every assignment God gives requires the power of the Holy Spirit. It requires the supernatural power of God. You see, if it didn't need the supernatural power of God, he could just get an unsaved person to do it. The assignments God gives us cannot be done without the supernatural power of God. There's nowhere God commissions someone to do something without giving supernatural ability to do it. There's nowhere. Why would we think we can do it today in a world of today without the supernatural power of God? Why would we neglect the supernatural? If you're going to represent God, is He a supernatural God or not? If He's a supernatural, don't hide who He is. It's like I'm embarrassed what God's like, so I'm going to dress it up a little bit so I won't tell you all about Him, uh, so you might get upset by what He does. Because He's a mighty deliverer. But we better hide that in a corner because it might upset someone. 
Do you understand? The church has moved so far away from what it's supposed to be doing. It's got to return again to the original design, intimacy with the Father, being transformed to become more and more like Him. So we build a community where it's safe to be open and let the Spirit of God bring healing and deliverance, where there's a plan in place for people to be healed and restored and built so sons and daughters can find their assignment and do it. So you need the power of the Holy Spirit to be intimate. You need the power of the Holy Spirit to change. You need the power of the Holy Spirit to fulfill your assignment. Come on, you ever think about it? Jesus began His assignment saying this, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why is He anointed? So He can do His assignment. Proclaim the Gospel. Connect people to God. To heal the brokenhearted. He just announces His assignment. It's all there. Set people free. Connect them to the Father. Set them out of the, release them from their bondages. When Jesus commissioned the disciples, Mark 3 verse 13, He called them to be with Him that He might send them to preach the gospel, cast out demons, heal the sick. Why do we only just take one little bit, preach the gospel? Why just narrow down and take away two thirds? Take away the dewy part. Just have the preachy bit. Come on, think about it. In in Matthew chapter 10, verse one, when he sent the apostles out, he anointed them and appointed them and gave them authority and power over demons and to heal sicknesses. Commissioned them, preach the gospel, minister the gospel. Luke chapter 10, you followed Luke chapter 10 through, you see the 70 disciples, same thing. Mark chapter 60, now he sends it to the whole church. Anyone who believes can minister and move in the Holy Ghost because that's divine design. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 7, now the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every person. See, it's given to every person. Why? Because it's God designed every son, every daughter move in the power of the Spirit. Because the challenges you face cannot be met. There are needs cannot be met without the power of God. There are people in your church cannot be set free without the power of God. There are people sitting there harassed by demons need the power of God. Why hold back on ministering to their needs? Or is it because I want to use them to build something? Come on, you've got to kind of understand this is the heart of God for His people to be freed. We cannot just avoid those things because we feel uncomfortable or we've got our own bondages. Think about that. So the church has replaced the power of God so frequently. Replace the ministry of the Holy Spirit. To replace means to make a substitute for something. Instead of this, we have this. We're cheating people when we do that. See, the church, if you think about the first revelation of the church, it was the house of God, the place of His presence and the gate of heaven. The gate is the place where authority is given to make judicial decisions that affect the governance. It's a place of governing authority. So the church has replaced, it's replaced deliverance with counseling. So we counsel instead of delivering people to demons. Counseling's okay, but you can't counsel demons. You've got, to set, you've got to get them out. See, instead of anointing on people, now there's charisma. It's all about the charisma they carry. Instead of, uh, instead of apostles and prophets, you've got administrators trying to run the church and build the thing and keep it all safe. They kind of hold it all together because that's how they're wired. But an apostle and prophet say, no, we've got a mission. Come on, we need to grow people up. Come on, mature, grow up. Prophet says, come on, there's the blockages. Let's get rid of the blockages. It's what God's saying. Minister's saying, you can't do all of that kind of thing. Yes, we can because this is what God wants. Because first apostles, then prophets, then teachers. Minister's a fair way down. Yeah. 
Instead of faith, there's reasoning. We try to reason everything out, teach people so much in the end, they, their head's full and their heart's empty. No faith, faith's of the heart and spirit. Instead of having family, we have organization. It breaks the heart of people. They're looking for family. Why? Because God is a father. Sure, we need to be organized. I've got a big family. You have to get really organized. So you need organization. But no, you don't, that doesn't take away that it's family. Family has to do with bondings and connectings and the way you relate to people. That's why it talks about brothers and sisters and mothers. All of this is the language of family. Why is it taken out of the church? When the broken heart's everywhere and they desperately need to know what family is like. They come to the church. Oh, no. We call God dad, but what's this? Is this a family? Think about it. Instead of worship, we fill it with entertainment. I love everything being presented nice and well, but you can no substitute for true intimate worship in the spirit. There's got to be those things. Such a challenge for us, isn't it? Challenge. Instead of fathers, we have leaders. Great to have leaders, but a father leads, but he's a father too, and that's different. Because fathers are concerned about son's identity. A leader wants to get the vision done. Father wants to see the kids grow up, fulfill their course, discover their course. There's a big difference, isn't there? So the needs of people cannot be met without the power of God. The church needs the supernatural. It needs us. Why? Because there are people who need healing. There are people who need deliverance. There are people who need a breakthrough and provision. There are people who need connections. They need favor on them in their business. There are people facing challenges that need God to give them breakthrough. And I go around the world and I see God doing these things everywhere, but not so much in the Western church. It's like the Western church had drawn back from the power of God, afraid of the unusual, afraid of the unexpected, trying to control it all. It's not going to work. It isn't working. We need the power of God. Power of God brings breakthroughs. I just got to text on my phone the other day, a woman who had been suicidal, under de- uh, depressed, suicidal, under counsel for two years, one meeting, power of God, hit a boom, set free, no problems, all gone. Another, another person's in the meeting, and they're addicted to marijuana, been on it for years, addiction, boom, power of God hit them, that's it, addiction's gone, now they're free, now they can start to grow the journey of connection and intimacy and healing and so on, because that's what caused the problem in the first place. We need the power of God, we need the power, now there's a contending for the power of God. Maybe you've prayed and stepped out and, and, and things didn't work out. Don't let that stop you. Learn to find out what are the factors. You've got to ask questions. You've got to ask questions. And, Jay, and, and Judy says we must contend for the supernatural. You have to contend in prayer. Jesus spent 40 days in prayer, fasting, solitude, meditation, warfare, surrendering to the Holy Ghost. Then he returned in the power of the Spirit. So these things have to come back into our lifestyle again. There is a contending for miracles. If I want miracles to happen, I have to position myself and grow in my faith for these things. And if there are setbacks, don't worry about the setbacks. Learn how to start to build the atmosphere in the church. Build the atmosphere around my own life. Strengthen my prayer life. Feed myself of things that'll grow my faith and determine my ministry will have supernatural in it. That wherever I operate, supernatural will be there. If you don't make that decision, there'll be no fight in you. There'll be no fight. Demons, I'll share with you tonight how there's a spirit assigned to shut down the supernatural everywhere, shut you down, and not just shut you down, take lots of other things off you as well. There is a spirit assigned to do that very thing. You must understand when you say the church needs to have the supernatural, you're declaring war straight away. So no man... 
who's a soldier of Christ, entangles himself so he can please and honour his master. It's as simple as that. There are entanglements in our life sometimes we need to get rid of. But it starts with saying, God, I'm not happy with how it is. I look and I see what the Bible says. I want the church that I'm part of, I want that to be full of power. I want my life to be full of power. I will pay the price to pursue it. I'll pay the price to pursue it. What would that look like? It would look like prayer. It would look like fasting. It would look like time meditating in the miracles, meditating in the Word of God. It would look like making connections with people that can inspire faith. It would look like getting testimonies constantly so your faith is being lifted. It would look like taking risks regularly to step out, pray for people, try things, push the boundaries out and not withdraw. It may look like you go out on a mission trip and go to a third world nation where they are hungry for God and start to stretch out so you break out your own expectations. Then come back and you're enlarged in your spirit and you realise, what have I been tolerating? What have I been putting up with? How could I settle for that? Come on, how could I settle for that? And I've just been in a meeting. I laid hands on a woman who had a gallbladder removed and the gallbladder was creatively put back in her body. She felt, I saw her body shake and move. I could feel her hand under my moving. And I looked at her and she started to smile. She said, the gap has gone. The place there where it was taken out is full again. Now you see, but see, God does things. We have to pursue it. Will you pursue? Or have you settled for so little? Because that's the common thing. And you say, God, I don't want to be like that. I want to be a man, a woman approved of God by miracles, signs and wonders. I will commit to pursuing God, to become intimate, to let Him work in my heart and to embrace that my assignment must be filled with the power of God. Now listen, that's not just about, tea. That's not just about the church, you see. That's about every believer. When I was a young Christian, I was able to bring the presence of God into the classroom in a way that shifted everyone's educational outcome. Where I saw people get yes. saved. People coming were touched by the, God, by the presence of God. I was very young, didn't know anything. But I was able to do it because I did what God showed me. What about you? You could do that. You're called to do that. You're called to be the gate of heaven for heaven to be released. Have you drawn back from that? Because of the pressure or disappointment or just the lack of nurture, make a decision. I will not stay drawn back. I am going to press on for miracles, press on for the supernatural, press on for breakthroughs in my life, press on for my ministry to grow in the power of the Holy Ghost. You say amen to that. Amen. Why don't we just stand right now? Why don't we just begin to pray in the Spirit? We have a break now. But I want you just to pray in the Spirit. Why don't you lift your hand and say, God, if there's a place you need to repent because you've accepted so little, Maybe you just need to say, God, today, I just repent. I repent in my heart of settling for little. I repent in my heart of not representing you well. I repent in my heart of not being intimate with you, of neglecting the altar of the Lord. And so there's no fire on that altar anymore. Lord, today, I come to you. I say, God, fresh fire on the altar, fresh presence and power on my life. Holy Spirit, come. Come on, lift your hands, begin to pray. Let's hear us raise 
raise our voice to the Lord. Start to cry out to Him. Cry out to Him. Let's cry out to Him. Oh, Father, we cry out to You. We cry out to You. We cry out for a fresh move of Your Spirit. We cry out for the fresh power of God. We cry out for the fresh anointing of the Holy Ghost. We cry out for a fresh encounter with You. We cry out for our hearts and lives to be stirred. Oh, Lord, touch us. Touch us in the place we're becoming bittered. Touch us in the place we've struggled with disappointment. Touch us in the place we've compromised and tolerated. My God, touch us today. Let Your Spirit come on our lives today. Help us today, Lord. Help us today. Pour out Your Spirit upon our lives. Come on, let's give the Lord a great clap, shall we? Thank You, Lord. Thank You. Thank You, Lord. Thank You, Lord. We honour You, Lord. We honour You, Lord. I can feel His presence is here. Holy Spirit, I just release a fresh activation. For every person here, I stir again the gift of God to start to flow in power. Father, today, what you started, Lord, continue it through the day until we become charged with passion, charged with fire, charged with a desire to serve in a new way, charged with faith to go back and hold altar calls, the power of God touches. In Jesus' name.